Welcome to Why Sew, the podcast where some of your favorite sewing personalities and rising stars share what motivates them to create using needle and thread. I'm your host, Jason Prater, and today I've got Barbara Imodi with me, an author who has written several instructional sewing books and has also come out with a crafting mystery series for CNT Publishing called Crafting for Murder. Just wanting to find out why she sews and why does she write about sewing? So, hey, why don't we find out? Welcome to the show, Barbara. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. Well, like many people who sew, my generation, we started early. I was the oldest of four kids growing up in a small town in Manitoba, Midwest of Canada. And that was in the day before kids' activities. So I was driving my mother crazy, just kind of picking around the house. And I actually started a sweatshop in the garage where I was making doll clothes and had all the little kids running home for like nickels and quarters to buy them. And the mothers marched down one morning and said to my mother, look, we got to shut this down. Like, this is, the kids are driving us crazy. So my mother enrolled me in a singer sewing school, which in small towns was it. And it was in the basement. And I went in and I was uh, 12, I think, at that time. And uh, it was all adult women making tailored suits. Oh, wow. But so I made myself a fully lined tailored wool suit with bound buttonholes at 12, which of course went nowhere. But but I found out a couple of things. One is that sewing was very social. I really, as a kid, enjoyed the adult conversation around me. And I just really loved sewing. I, mean, I loved just watching the needle go through the fabric. I just loved all the materials. And um I just never stopped. That's so, fantastic. Uh, so you you knew this at an early age. I mean, you were you were smitten pretty early on with sewing. It sounds absolutely. So so I sold all my own clothes, which actually were pretty awful when I think of some of the things I wore to school. And through my life, I obviously went on and did other things professionally, but sewing was core. And story that will give you some idea of the role sewing was in my life. At one point, I ended up the director of communications for a politician who ended up running for becoming what in Canada would be the equivalent of a governor. Oh, wow. So had to be in these election campaigns, drove me crazy. So I thought, and it was kind of stressful. So in those days, I had computer case. I actually took my computer out and I put a small sewing machine in it. So everybody was I mean, walking around with this case and thought, like, I'm so hardworking. <laughs> then at the end of the day, I finally get the politicians to, like, go to the rooms. And I would go down to the business center in the hotel and say, can I use your computer? I'd write whatever I had to write, go back up to my room, and I would sew. Because basically, by sewing kept them alive. It kept me from killing them. <laughs> I just kind of that was a part of my life and it was kind of a, a bit of a secret life obviously in some ways and in terms of writing when sewing blogs started out I remember sitting one night at my dining table and looking at someone trying to sell an indie pattern for a coat and I looked at it and I thought that hem is awful and it's so <laughs> and I can remember it was a yellow wool coat and I thought like it's such an easy fix but obviously nobody's telling them the easy fixes. So I actually sent off an email to CNT and said, if you ever want anyone to write a book of kind of like tricks of the trade for whole, new home stores, let me know. And 
about four or five months. Actually, I was down at the pool with my grandchildren and I got an email and they said, yes. That's so, fantastic. So at this point, I mean, uh, let's maybe rewind for a second. I, or, or maybe you could tell me, is sewing sort of your primary job, your primary profession now, would you say? Or, or do you do you have something else and sewing is just the, the passionate thing you do on the side and write about and other things? It's kind of the lines get blurred, right? The lines get very blurred. Well, obviously, I've written sewing books. I'm now writing novels, mystery novels, and uh, all about actually the main character is a sewing teacher. Okay. And I also, in the evenings, taught sewing for like decades. I've taught sewing. And then I also do work part time actually in radio for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, where I am a political commentator. Um, oh, wow. But they all know I sew, and I actually made the wedding dress for one of the other commentators. So, uh, oh, that's terrific. It's it all blurs. <laughs> I love it. So, you call yourself a, a serial sewist. I mean, now does that connotate that you always have something going on on the sewing machine, or tell us where that name came from? Well, um, I sew every day. I've always sewn every day. And actually, my family, I've got a son in California, one in Texas. I've got family here. I have a sewing machine at every house I visit because the minute I walk in, they say, listen, can you fix this? Can you make this? So you can't always travel with a good sewing machine. So I've got them all over the place, right? I love that. So it's just continual. I mean, I can't get away from it. My sister got married. We all flew in for the wedding. I haven't even picked up my bags. And they say to me, one of the bridesmaids has got this big tattoo right here, and she doesn't want her mother to see it. Can you alter the dress before the wedding tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> so everybody else goes off to the parties, right? Where am I? I'm at the dining room table at my mom's house trying to haul up this dress. Wow. Get away from it. That's terrific. <laughs> it's kind of like being the doctor in the family, right? Hey, you know, hey, I've had this little thing. Can you take a look at it? I, I hear this over and over. Does that annoy you or does that make you feel good? It makes me feel good. I mean, it kind of gives me a role. I like to be useful. I could tell you just so many stories about that. I mean, my my dad actually passed away. And when he was dying, we went into the hospital. And I thought, man, like those little gowns I've got him in, just don't suit him. So I went home and made, and made a bunch in like bright colors that suited him. It's That's awesome. Kind of connect with people. And I think anybody out there who makes anything will get it. It's It's something you do for yourself, but it's also a bridge to people in your life. Yeah, I, 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 I love that description. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There's so many ways that you can use sewing, right? Yeah. It seems that you kind of mostly focus on garment sewing. What's maybe some of your biggest tips for people that maybe have never sewn a garment but want to try? Probably the first thing is don't be too worried or stressed about it, right? I mean, it's not brain surgery. You're not giving birth to it. It's a garment, but probably the main thing is people say, I don't know what size. I don't know what size to get because mm. nobody is standard sizes. And if you make something that is not the right size, you're not going to wear it. So one of the first rules is it's easy to enlarge a pattern. It's very hard to make the pattern smaller. So when you see like bust, waist, hip, basic measurements, 
and you think, oh my God, my hips are eight inches bigger than that. You just go by the pattern for the smallest size. And then it's quite simple to add. I mean, your your spine, your hip bones, all that's going to stay the same, right? Mm. You want that to fit. Your upper body's like a hanger that you're close. You want it to fit here. It's got to fit the hanger. And then you just add to the side. Okay. Now, how about for the more experienced sewist? What are some you know, common pitfalls or problems that you see with garment sewist making that, man, maybe they could easily solve with a notion or a tool or a technique. Um, what What is something that you would have to say to, to the person who does sew a lot, who does make a lot of their own clothing and clothing for other people? Yes. What are things that you see uh, that they, they could do better? Well, I think tools are really important. Like sewing tools and supplies are really important. And often people like look at your accessory feet, you know, getting a close stitch to the edge of something, you know, you're outlining the edge of a lapel. There's a thing called an edge stitching foot. It's like a curve. You put your fabric up against it and you could you could practically close your eyes and that'll be straight. Right. So, you know, see what accessories are available. And obviously threads are very important because top stitching really makes me crazy because to, like good quality clothes have a heavier thread in the top stitch. Okay. And that makes a big difference. They have a longer, so you got to proportion it. So if the fabric is a little thick, like a wool, if it's got dimension, then you have to respect that through the garment. So that means the top stitching thread needs to be heavier. The top stitching needs to be kind of the distance from the edge of like two layers of fabric. So a shirt, like a fine man shirt, is going to have a fine thread for the top stitching and it's going to be right close to the edge. Right. I'm doing something uh, heavier, like if you're doing a fleece, you're going to want to move it in and use a longer stitch length. And people don't know what a difference thread weight makes. And that's for any stitching that shows on the outside. That's really important. And often sewers will say to me, I can't use those heavier threads, right? They go, they just shred in my machine. No, you need a top stitching needle. That's just a needle with a bigger eye. So right. it's not even saw it. So like I never top stitch with a construction thread. Yeah. And it makes a big difference. What are some of the more popular weights of thread that you use when you're top stitching garments? Well, just you go one down. It depends. Like, and actually, I will use a 50. I'll use a finer and fine fabrics. That makes yeah. a huge difference. You don't want yeah. your thread heavier. If you're doing batiste, you don't want your thread heavier than the fiber. Yeah. So, that, so that's the main thing. Actually, I just did a batiste nightgown and it was all done in finer thread. So, you know, you're you're looking at, well, I've gone down depends, you know, you can go down to a 10 and 8, you know, 30 or 20, depends, you know, what sure. you but generally experiment with that, but get a top stitching needle that makes super important such a difference and lengthen your stitch length. Fantastic. So tell me about tell me about your entree into writing. How did you go from you know, sewing as I, I guess really kind of a, a hobby. I mean, you weren't yes. necessarily it wasn't your profession, so to speak. So how did how did you go from sewing as a hobby to instructional sewing as a or, or writing instructional type sewing? Um, how did that how did that happen? Well, I think maybe it started with teaching sewing. And one thing I realized when I taught sewing is people learn in different ways. 
So if I have a class, I prepare a sample because some people are tactile. They'll, you see that, you know, the little kid that you take into a store and you say, don't touch, why do you have to touch everything, right? Why do you have to touch everything? <laughs> it's because of tactile learners. They yeah. actually, I've realized, take in their information with their hands. And women in fabric stores are always tight. You say that if you had a fabric store that said you're never allowed to touch the fabric, you'd have no customers. People work with their hands, right? They want right. To, So you have to have a sample that they can pass around the class, particularly rural women who are used to looking at something, turning it inside out, figuring out how it's made, right? That's what they do. They don't want to talk to you. They want to talk to their friend they came with and they'll turn it inside out and say, that's what she did. Okay, that that went there. And then they'll say, yes, okay, we can go home now. We understand. (laughs) You have to have a physical sample. Then there are some people who are completely verbal, right? Those are people who are now listening to podcasts who want to hear it explained. So you have to talk through the whole thing. Some people have to see you. They're visual and they have to see you. uh, So and then the fourth group are people who are text based. Like people who will sit in the class, they're not doing anything. They'll have their instruction sheet and they will literally say to me, can you read that to me while I do it? They're texting. So once I figured out that I had to make whatever I was trying to teach accessible, and that's actually good advice to me a long time for anybody who teaches sewing, is to allow those four entry points into your information. And so from that, I started to write instructions for those learners. So sort of, you know, step and that organized my mind. But then I got feedback from them that they would say, I don't understand what you mean. So for that, I felt when I saw the blog and realized I wanted to share a lot of information I got, I realized I could just access that instruction writing experience. So so would you say those those instructional writings were geared for beginner sewers? Is that or or were these uh, geared for people that were already sewing and wanted to up their game or, or what, what, what were those instructions for predominantly? Basically I was trying to do handy, handy tricks. And I have decided over the years, there's not, you can't really draw the line between a beginner and an experienced sewer. Cause I realized you could sew for 35 years and do the same thing wrong for 35 years. You know, like, not the truth. Yeah. And then then I would have I remember one student I had who came in with a really old basic entry level machine. She got right into it. And then within one year, she had upgraded her machine four times as her skills grew, mm. which was really interesting. And I would have considered her an expert by the end of that one year. Wow. So. I don't really, and particularly my generation of sewists or the whole mech kind of trade, they're very tentative. Yeah. They'll always say to you, is this right? You know, is this right? You know, they're, is this the right way to do it? And actually people's hands are more comfortable with doing different things. So there's not really one right way. Whereas a, a new sewer will say things like, oh, I should have two pockets. <laughs> 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 you know? And they will put in one and say, yeah, I'll only use one anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I don't like to draw those distinctions and I don't want anyone to feel unique. It's not a degree debt granting institution is on class. Like yeah. you, you have to put in certain number of years. Interesting. How, how much of the of those techniques and tips and tricks and, and just things that you know and use, how much how much of that would you say you sort of 
developed on your own through trial and error? Or, or how much of that came from your original classes that you took at, back at that singer? I assume this was a singer yeah. store, right? I know a little yeah. bit about the history of, yeah. of Singer and they, they ran a lot of company-owned stores, but then they also had a lot of independent retailers uh, under the Singer name. How much of that instruction came or how much of that knowledge that you have do you feel came from that experience or was it really more through your own trial and error? I, you know, it's a, com- it's a combination. I, I don't think a lot of my techniques are formal. A lot of them I think are new to a lot of even experienced sewers, but where they came from, a lot of them from my students, but also a lot of it is my mistakes and my frustrations. And I had a really funny student once who claimed her machine would only sew on th- with silk thread. And I said, come on, how can them, how can them, machines are like that, you know, like maybe the weight makes a difference, but so, no, my machine is a very top of the line. It'll only sew a silk thread. So she said to me, she said, Barbara, you must have been trained in France. And I said, <laughs> And I said, actually, what is standing behind me are a thousand ruined garments. And everyone, at the end, I thought, what did I do wrong? What could I have done to see this problem coming to hit it off? And that's kind of my approach. I find that comforting. I, I you know, just in, in anything that I do, knowing that the uh, people that I might be learning from have have made the same mistakes. Uh, I think your students probably would uh, appreciate knowing that and, and do appreciate knowing that. And when you come at it from that perspective, it seems like that's uh, super helpful for a student to know that, hey, everybody's going to make mistakes, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so as tend to focus, maybe women do, but on their mistakes, like you say to them, that looks Oh, did you make it? That looks nice. And I was like, yeah, but I trouble, I trouble with this. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me pick out the one little tiny thing I did wrong, as opposed to the 50 things I did right on this. Like just, you know, just say thank you. And I've done men's shirt making classes and men are so different. Like men are like, awesome. (laughs) I I once taught two brothers who were sheet metal workers. They were. For some reason, they decided they wanted to make their own pants. And I would show, this is in Australia, they were, they were kind of rough guys, but they were so fun to teach. And I would show them, and they said, right, they say it's just like sheet metal. And <laughs> they'd sew something up, and they'd say, this is amazing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it probably looked terrible. <laughs> But they were delighted with themselves and they kept sewing and they actually turned out to be great sewers because they were just so pleased. Yeah, that's great. I love that. (laughs) Well, how much of of that experience or experiences like that did 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 that have anything to do or your your I don't know, sort of your your journey through teaching, how much of that had to do with your transition from writing technical things to writing fictional things about sewing and writing novels that incorporated sewing? I mean, how did that, how did that transition come about? What was it that, that got you there? I spent a lot of time in sewing classrooms and people talk, right? It's their night out. So you hear everything and I kind of felt that my head was full of a lot of like interesting, funny stories, things about 
people. And I kind of wanted to write a story just to get them out. I mean, most of the things in my book, I've done a couple of books and only once published, kind of really happened. I mean, I had a coach during the World Hockey Championship who showed up in my class and said, I'm so stressed out. Like, you know, if he doesn't get the gold, like, it's just going to be awful. And like, I used to, so when I was younger, I just want to come and sit <laughs> in the back of your room and like, for my mental health. Wow. Wow. You know, like, I had a one woman come into a class and she walked in and she said, I don't know why I'm here. I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer. How am I going to do this? And an older woman reached into her blouse, pulled out her prosthesis, threw it on the table and said, 30 years, baby, you'll be fine. <laughs> wow. That's powerful stuff. Oh, wow. It's powerful stuff. So like you walk around with all the stuff in your head, you know, like one of my characters in my book is a psychologist who actually he's a prison psychologist who leaves to return to the family business. Right. And he actually, you know, ends up that's actually based on a real person that I knew who went back, who became a sewing machine dealer. He was terrible at it. But he was still a wonderful psychologist. So people used to come to his dealership and tell him the problems and buy a machine because they felt bad for him. Like, how can you not use this? Stuff? Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. So, I mean, are these things, uh, are these characters and, and, and some of these things that we just discussed, are these part of Crafting for Murder? Or can you yeah. tell us about that book a little bit? Yeah. And what the... Well, that that book is uh well because i worked in radio it's it opens in a rural radio station and she's basically come back to the her town her kids have grown up in a classic cozy stuff right middle-aged woman her kids are gone what's she going to do with her life she goes back she decides rural nova scotia that's where i live and everybody here does crafts everybody here sews does crafts like nonstop she decides she wants to open a co-op Right. So all that she says, I want to get the crafts and everything out of people's houses and into a central place where they can make some money. So that's what she does. She sets it up in the second floor of the family store run by the psychologist cousin who's completely hopeless, but very nice. And, and that's the story. And somebody gets murdered and she anyway, that's kind of what happens. But her, she has sewing classes through it during which people discuss things uh, and a lot of these details. Come out. So I had a lot of fun because I could see these people like I knew them. I mean, the woman who made who, you know, made uh, fall, like she basically makes wooden legs, right? Or fall like a person like <laughs> <laughs> she comes into the class. She's there kind of contacted the hospital. with <laughs> All real. I love it. Sounds like you have a lot of material there. Are you planning a a, a sequel to this book or another in the it's line here. in this series? It's a series. It's a series. And it's uh, called, it's um, Gasper's Cove. I mean, I have a website so people can see the picture of Gasper's Cove, okay. which actually is, Gasper's Cove is actually, I got the name from a group of old guys I know who had this like little lunch club, which they called the Last Gaspers, right? So. I just like Gaspers. I love it. <laughs> so I, I called it Gaspers Cove, right? And everybody refers to the town as Last Gasp, right? So they're kind of down in their luck, rural town, you know, on the North Atlantic. Uh, yeah. So it's a whole man thing. I'm getting pretty involved 
Wow. Going on in Gasper's Cove. That's super cool. So you have you have these this series. I'm I'm sure in your mind you've kind of got it all planned out, right? You know, five series, five books into the series probably by now. But beyond that, what else is next for you? Any other endeavors, projects, things that you're working on that you like to uh, share? I think the writing is big. I think writing, I think sewing uh for people is important to me. Like I have a very tiny niece who has quit her kind of corporate job to go back and work with disabled adults uh, and therapy animals. She has nothing to wear. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I got to take care of that. So probably a lot about that. And and I do, I like a little bit of, so I worked actually briefly as an educator for one of the sewing machine companies, just kind of on call. And I really like that. Like I, I love the materials of sewing. I love sewing machines and yeah, any chance I get to do a bit of that, but like I'm busy. I got, yeah. I get like four 30 cause like I'm already ah. behind. So are you still actively teaching anywhere or do you have any upcoming not this, places? Not at this moment I have taught. It's been a couple of months till I've taught. Yeah. Okay. Well, so at the core, at yeah. the most basic yeah. place, why do you sew? What is it that you feel you get out of out of sewing that's that's so powerful that you can't stop it's just the magic right it's the magic of you have this flat bit of fabric and maybe piece of paper right and you cut it out and you sew it and sometimes it's not that great right sometimes you put it on your husband says yeah, maybe not the best thing you've ever read. but then sometimes you put on you think you go into the bathroom, you've put on this thing you've sewn, and you look in the mirror and you think, my God, it's so great. And I did it all myself. <laughs> but then when you sew for somebody else, like I made pants for my 95-year-old mother, you know, and she said with pockets. And I made her an apron with all these pockets because she has a walker. So she put all her stuff in it. And she says, like, this is the best thing ever. And yeah, there's something about creating. I find it hard to imagine what life would be like if you didn't make something. Yeah, that's cool. I, I love that answer. I, I've always kind of said that as an industry, we aren't selling thread and notions. No. And, but what we're really selling is this this feeling of accomplishment, this feeling of pride and satisfaction that comes with creating and crafting through sewing. And it uh, sounds like you definitely agree with that. You're your explanation was right in line with that with that thought. Yes. And I think the industry needs to refocus a bit on that and be careful that they don't create more barriers to learning. Like mm. that they don't, you know, sometimes I think machines are so complicated and everything is so complicated. And women are women do more than they used to in terms of diversity in their lives. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you've got jobs, you, you know, they're going to pick up, you know, you can't give somebody tools that have a very high learning curve because mm-hmm. you're giving them escape where they can make magic. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I, I haven't really thought of that before. There is way more competing for your spare time today than there was 30, 40 years ago. That's for sure. When you make it too complicated, I can I can see what you mean. And I think that's a challenge. You know, like a older sewer say to me, do you believe that, you know, young women are getting out of the house to go down and learn how to make a tote bag? What's their tote bag? No. You look at the picture, they're holding up their tote bag. 
And some days, I mean, I had a bunch of kids too. I know that feeling. Sometimes I go to bed and I think, what in the world did I achieve today? And I think I put in that sleeve. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Is there anybody anybody else in the industry or in anybody that you've looked at as sort of in a mentor type fashion or just someone who's, you know, helped you in your journey or impacted you along the way that without them, you, you'd say you may not be exactly who you are? Yes, definitely. Uh, David Page Coffin, who actually died a couple of years ago, he wrote the shirt book and he was the <laughs> And it, oh, he wrote a lot about, but the shirt book was amazing. And he was an editor of Threads Magazine. And mm. I sent off an idea to him like a long time ago, like 95 or something. And I picked up the phone and he, he said, yes, we want to do your articles. And so I wrote for them, ended up being a contributing editor. And he was like amazing. He wrote his shirt book when he was a limo driver in New York. Wow. So when he was waiting for people in meetings, like sitting in his limo, he started making notes because he was like me, tall, couldn't get shirts. He'd got a cheap machine at Sears. And he went on to just be amazing. And he actually visited me once, stayed in my house. He said, I've written, I've just read a book about Canada and I have to experience it. So I'm coming. Right. And he stayed in my house. My kids. How cool is that? It was so cool. He was so wonderful. We talked about sewing. Then I brought in all the local ladies and met him. And he kind of believed you can do like his attitude was like, why not? Like, how hard could it be? He was great. He taught my kids how to levitate. Wow. <laughs> they were like little boys. And this is like the coolest guys ever seen. <laughs> How'd you meet this guy, mom? He's awesome. <laughs> he is awesome. <laughs> he sews. He sews. That's all. I love. The, I love those kind of stories. That's fantastic. I mean, obviously, you 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 garment sew um, primarily, but is there are there other things in sewing, other techniques um, that you you know just haven't tried yet, but you always have wanted to and would like to learn how to do, or or is just regular yes. old garment sewing? Is that is that all you focus well, on? Like garments, I'm a disastrous quilter. I have a sister who's like, I'm not a super precise person, right? I am about clothing, but that's it. I made a, my sister had this idea. We would make a quilt for my parents. We would each do squares. We each did half the squares. I sent my half to her. She sent them back. And she said, have you not heard of a quarter inch seam? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I would really like to do that would really suit my disposition? Thread painting. Ah. There's a couple of artists, oh, her name escapes me, who does wildlife kind of, um, she paints with thread. Yeah. It's amazing. And my son's got a wonderful picture in his house that is just like black fabric. And it is basically like a line drawing, one continuous line, and the stitches, and it's drawings of people. So it's like just outline sketches. I really want to do that. I really want to use like the whole idea of using the needle and the thread to kind mm. of paint and draw. That's on my list. That's now, now, now that's really cool. That you know, that's uh that's at the heart of the history of our company, actually. Joyce Drexler. Um, that's how it all began with us, is her teaching thread painting and 
you know, free motion, essentially free motion embroidery and until at the point where, where machines started to do that for you. But uh, well before that, she was teaching people how to do that. And actually her, her son, Eric um, still works for us and is, and has classes. So, hey, we have to treat you to some fearless free motion is the name of his class where he teaches people how to do that. Because I think actually that is a good intersection of what we were talking about before about sewing is creativity, about therapy, about not having a big entry level thing. Like, because there's not, it's not sewing, it's rules, right? It's actually not rules. And I actually started to do some free motion and I was doing it like a sewer, like this. Yeah. I had someone said to me, no, they put on music and they said, your body, keep your body, your hands still like a hoop and just move your body. And like, that's really cool. And that I can see if you're busy, you've got a lot going on in your life. The colors are beautiful. That's the thing about it. You know, and some of the variegated are so interesting. You know, the colors are beautiful. And then if you could just get into, I mean, honestly, rocking is therapeutic anyway, which is essentially what you're doing. Yeah. Well, you should try that. You should really do it. I'm going to. I think there's a real Zen thing going on. Don't let it, don't let it stay on the bucket list. Scratch that sucker off. (laughs) I will. I will. So tell us when when you're not sewing and uh, when you're not on the radio. What are what are some of your other hobbies? What are other things that you enjoy? What does Barbara like to do in her in her spare time that doesn't involve a needle and thread? Well, actually, most has a little bit. I can, I golf a lot. Awesome. I golf where people, where other golfers who sew their clothes say to me, "What's wrong with the crotch on this guy? <laughs> How can I fix this? There's a wrinkle here." And we actually RV a lot, so we live in Nova Scotia, which is way. People don't know that's north of Maine, right? It's yeah. Right up there. And of course, we've got, a, you know, grandchildren and kids in California and in Texas. So we RV. So we've just come back from like a four-month tour. Oh, wow. So I we know the U.S. really well. And you have like the best state park system in the universe, particularly Texas state parks. So nice. we just love it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, Barbara, it was so awesome to get to talk to you today. I, I really have enjoyed it and appreciate you um, agreeing to be on the podcast. I know our listeners are going to are gonna love hearing this episode. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. So if if, if our, our, our audience wants to know more about you, you mentioned a website earlier where they can learn about your new book and, and other things. What's, what's the web address for that where they can find uh, you? www.babsemodi, B-A-B-S-E-M-O-D-I.com. Babs and Modi. All right. Well, okay. Fantastic. Well, Barbara, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate your time and, and all you bring to the sewing industry and uh, wish you all the best in your next books. Thank you very much. Thanks, Barbara. You take care. Thank you for listening to Why Sew with Sulky. Visit sewingonline.sulky.com for more info on today's episode and to browse our educational offerings, including live webcast, videocast, and special events that you can watch in the comfort of your own home with your sewing machine by your side.